welcome to our brand new podcast on Golden Shores, a podcast all about pregnancy, birth and the fourth trimester. Our guest this week is Hazel Leonard, a registered midwife and an IVF mum. In this conversation, Hazel thoughtfully shares her experiences of assisted conception and long-awaited pregnancy through the lenses of both mother and midwife. We talk about pregnancy anxiety, waiting for milestones, and our expectations of birth and motherhood after long-haul journeys to get there. It was an honour having Hazel as a guest, and we hope you take as much from the conversation as we did. We start by asking Hazel about her journey to motherhood. So my story started in 2014 um, when we got married and I laugh now because I think the naivety of it we put off trying for a couple of months because we didn't want to be pregnant at honeymoon which I think a lot of people do um that wasn't that didn't need to be a worry but so we started trying almost immediately and then kind of I'd say six months to a year into it it wasn't really happening so we went to a clinic in Dubai they ran some tests we were diagnosed with unexplained fertility and we did a round of IUI that was unsuccessful and then a couple of months later, we did our first round of IVF. That was also a unsuccessful failure. I don't really like those words when we're talking about fertility treatment because it's, you know, it's like you failed or you did something wrong. But uh, anyway, um, we did not have a positive pregnancy test from that. Um, we then decided to wait a little bit. Didn't really feel like the clinic took very good care of us. It felt very much like a number. Nobody really explained very much. So it just wasn't a very nice experience. Not that generally fertility treatment is a nice experience. But um, so we kind of then decided to wait a little bit, have keep trying. Then for our next round, we traveled back to the UK. We had fertility treatment in the UK. Um, fertility clinic was a bit better but still very much, oh, okay, and no infertility, um, we'll just give you IVF. So we did another, actually, the first um, round was IVF, the second one was ICSI. So the, the second round, they were like, oh, your husband's sperm morphology, which if you're listening, um, is to do with the shape, isn't as high as we would like. So really it should be more than 4% of the sample that have, that are the right shape. And his was kind of one to two percent, but nobody really focused on that. They were just like, "Oh, we'll do ICSI, which is you know, we'll put the sperm directly into the egg, um, rather than leaving them to fertilize in the petri bush." Um, and on the day of transfer, day five, they were like, "Oh, you've got one, okay, average quality. You don't really have anything else. You don't have anything for breathing. No embryos for breathing." So that was a bit of a shock but that also happened the first time kind of we're hoping to have something for freezing but that wasn't the case had the transfer and that was also a negative pregnancy test <clears throat> so we're about kind of three years into it at this point very disheartened um we didn't want to be a couple that just kept doing it just kept going and going and going and I know lots of people do and that works for them but for us, we were like, we'll take a bit of a break. Um, and then I actually had a, a meeting. So sorry, I didn't really tell you about my background. So I'm a, a midwife. I've been in women's health for 14 years. I've been doing 
the fertility education side of it for a couple of years but prior to that I worked in the UK worked in the Middle East um, and the company I was working with we were doing a collaboration with um, a lady that ran an IVF support group and she said why don't you go and see this doctor so we went to see him and it was so refreshing because for the first time somebody looked at my husband and said okay so all your tests are fine Hazel what about you I looked at him and we were like well nobody's bothered nobody's even you know we, we've got this morphology thing but everybody's gone oh it's fine we, we'll just do it see. um and he was very much like right that's why we're going to start so we're going to do more tests on you so we're going to do dna fragmentation we're going to do blood tests we're going to send you to the urologist um so we had all this testing done and the dna fragmentation was terrible he had a varicose vein in his testicle <clears throat> excuse me um so it was male factor infertility that was what our, our diagnosis was after four years so he had he, the varicose vein was kind of borderline and they said do you want surgery um it's a size that you can or you could not it, it just depends on you so we decided to go ahead with the surgery and at that point our doctor was like right you need to change everything about your lifestyle so you need to stop drinking alcohol you need to change how you're eating you need to take these vitamins give it six months, which was really refreshing because it wasn't a case of just do IVF again. So he did that six, nine months. That was in the January of 2019. And then in the October of 2019, we did our third round of IVF or ICSI. And that was the first time that we had decent quality embryos. So it was, you know, at retrieval, we'd always had about 10, 11 eggs. And then on day three, we'd always had maybe five embryos or six embryos. And then by day five, we were always told, oh, no, there's nothing left. In this one, they were like, there's three and they're all quite good quality. And I, I nearly fell off the bed. I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's possible. And originally they'd said, we'll transfer two. But based on that, the embryologist said, well, we recommend one, but equally, this is kind of like your fourth round of fertility treatment. So it's up to you. So we had one embryo put back and in August of 2020, I gave birth to our son. So that was, that worked. And then we froze the other two. We never had them genetically tested or anything. So the embryologist was purely looking at how they were growing and developing. And then we kind of decided we would like another baby. And contrary to popular belief, we didn't just have one baby and then miraculously get pregnant, like spontaneously the second time. So we went for frozen embryo transfer with one of the, the frozen embryos. And yeah, I'm now 34 weeks pregnant with our second embryo. So yeah, I mean, it's been... From you know, twenty three with twenty seven eight years wow. into this. <laughs> oh, Hazel, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We're really honoured. Yeah, yeah. Followed your account, the prepared pineapple, for quite like a long time, and it's it's really lovely to hear your story. So thank you, and I know that anyone listening will be really you know, grateful to hear it as well. And I think for this, for the purpose of this podcast and what, what we're really focusing on is really like your experience of pregnancy after all of that time trying, like it, you bringing a, a particular perspective being a midwife. So it'd be really mm -hmm. interesting, I think, for us to hear 
how that was so you when you found out you were pregnant and that and your pregnancy and now you're pregnant again like what what was that experience like for you and was it as you expected um no I think that's a really good question when I mean when I got the positive pregnancy test that's the first positive pregnancy test of my life I've never had a positive pregnancy test before um, and I sobbed I was just the relief of at least I can get pregnant no matter what happens from here I can get pregnant so that was very much the mentality of just a, a weight had kind of been lifted and from a midwife perspective um you know I, I you know I always say that there's a scale with everything like there's a scale with pregnancy and there's a scale with infertility and and some people have really awful pregnancies they feel nauseous from day one they have lots of bleeding they have lots of pain you know they have awful pregnancies I was quite fortunate with my first pregnancy I was a bit tired in the first trimester um I had gestational diabetes that I controlled through diet but other than that it was quite a smooth pregnancy and I knew that because of all the women I've supported I knew how difficult it could get so I felt very, very grateful. But I, I think that there is a big element of that with infertility. When you've been trying so hard for such a long time, you are just grateful to be pregnant. And I was very much in that, you know, um, and, it, and in my midwife had known what could go wrong didn't necessarily help in, in some way. So I never really felt that I could complain about anything, you know, even if it was just a bit of backache or I'm feeling tired today or you know managing gestational diabetes not being able to eat carbs I mean you're pregnant you want to eat like cookies and, <laughs> and bread and, and pasta and you know and I and I couldn't really eat very much of that but it was all okay because I was like I, I you know I'm pregnant so I didn't really feel like I could complain about it and then I also think as well that there's the milestones that you set yourself so the goal is getting pregnant and that is your focus for such a long time that once you get pregnant you think everything's going to be fine as soon as I'm pregnant that's all I've wanted so it's going to be okay and it isn't always okay so you set these goalposts so you know for me the first goalpost was a, a scan with a heartbeat so the six seven weeks I've got to get to that. Let's not let's not get too relaxed. Let's not get too comfortable. Let's have that first. And then it was the twelve week scan because it's the anomaly scan and it's the big one. And you know there could be something wrong with this baby. So let's not not get too attached because something might go wrong. And then the twenty week ultrasound. And then oh, I haven't really felt any movement. So you know, and I and I think you just keep doing that throughout the whole pregnancy. And I definitely did that. I you you kind of don't enjoy it because you don't necessarily believe that you're going to get a baby at the end of it and that was something that I wasn't necessarily anticipating because equally although I am a midwife and a lot of my friends at the time were having babies everybody just seemed like oh God, I'm, I'm pregnant I'm gonna have a baby full stop and they embraced that and the the people that I looked after were like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a baby. And if somebody mentioned that their pregnancy was IVF, they didn't delve into a lot about these 
underlying thoughts that you have. So I think, although my pregnancy, like this pregnancy, the first 16 weeks I felt so nauseous, really, really nauseous. Didn't have it with the first pregnancy, but I did feel a little bit more like, it's okay, you can complain about it a little bit. You know, (laughs) I was gonna ask that, I was gonna ask how this, you know, this pregnancy and and your first pregnancy, what what those two experiences have been like, like in comparison. Yeah. Um, I think because of the, the work that I do now with within infertility uh, and loss, I, I give myself permission to complain a bit more and to enjoy it. Like I really enjoyed the second trimester. I think there is still always that part of me that even now at 34 weeks, I haven't really bought anything because there's still that, is there a baby coming? you know is is that gonna happen and and I think that's just you know you can give yourself permission to be enjoy moments you can give yourself permission to complain but believing that this you're going to meet this baby is can be quite hard to get your head around yeah and I had the diabetes again so I still can't eat still can't eat cookies and bread but but um it's huge in terms of trust, isn't it? I think when we've been on a long journey to get there and that very ordinary thing that seems to happen to so many people where they go and they they sleep with their partner on their honeymoon, perhaps even like the, you know, the actual dream and they're pregnant. There's that trust, it gets chipped away, doesn't it? The longer you try the trust in your own body and the trust in the what is you know, supposed to be a very straightforward process. And I think that trust for me was so damaged by the time I got to pregnancy. Yeah, I really resonate with that because I couldn't believe that there would be a baby at the end of it. That just felt like it would be too good to be true, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is experienced by so many people who are yeah. after after you know real real trials to get there. So yeah, yeah. I really, really do resonate with that. That seeking the milestones that you were speaking about. Like, I just want to get pregnant okay I'm pregnant now I just want to get to that I just want to see that heartbeat okay I've seen the heartbeat (laughs) moment of relief hopefully and then okay what's the next milestone 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 so you know you got that moment birth arrived baby's here did that seeking the next milestone drop when you had your son in your arms or did your mind sort of keep seeking the next milestone do you feel like that sense of struggling to accept what's happening and that chasing like we just need to get to this moment and then this moment and then I'll feel relaxed and then I'll feel relaxed and then I'll feel relaxed and accept that it's happened or was it there with birth was that the kind of main milestone I think for me personally and I think it's a really good point that you bring up because I, I know for a lot of women that that is a big thing even after they give birth of yes but what if something happens but what if but what about that? But you know, you know, and they have that element. For me, the milestones did kind of stop at that point. Um, what I was very aware of, again, is the scale thing. Um, and I do a lot of work with women in the community um, that have newborn babies. And this is something that I've seen very frequently is that postnatal depression rates among women that have suffered previous loss and infertility are quite high. Because what you do is you put the dream on the pedestal um, and you have this idea 
of this lovely little newborn baby that is going to snuggle into you and is going to breastfeed like a dream and it's just going to be so lovely and you're going to breastfeed your baby you're going to put the baby down and then you'll you know you go off and you'll have your shower and you'll do your, your own thing and then the scale with babies is sometimes they are very breezy babies and they're quite chill and actually you can breastfeed them beautifully and they have no problems and they go to sleep and you know it's hard and it's tiring but it's actually okay and then I've had other clients at the end of the scale where their baby's got reflux and colic and they can't be put down and they spend you know 22 hours a day in their pajamas with a small human on them and they're like this isn't what I thought it was going to be I perceived motherhood to be so different because equally as much as we don't talk about infertility or difficult pregnancies we don't talk about how difficult that newborn postpartum stage can be um and and I had on my scale of babies I had one that was almost kind of closer to the the refluxy irritable baby (laughs) that didn't like being put down um and although I knew that that could happen I think the the shock of okay he's asleep so I've now got 15 minutes to either eat food or have a shower or go for a wee was intense very very intense and it was quite lonely because it was covid as well um I don't have any family out here so my husband went back to work after two weeks and it was it was me and my son alone every day unless you know I mustered up the energy to it, it, things started to improve slightly with covid in that you could do some gatherings but a lot of things were still online so that was quite isolate, isolating and that was quite lonely and harder than I thought it was going to be even oh, with your yeah. experience of seeing it even with my experience yeah. yeah yeah I think that will resonate with lots and lots of people yeah and, and I'd message like my midwife friends and I'd go right I know that this is fine but is this fine because you have your mum heads and you have your professional heads and they're, they're not they're two very different people like they can't be the same yeah on the same page and you're so right to kind of call out that taboo that I definitely felt that I felt that two things I felt that I would listen to my friends talking about sleep deprivation and thinking in the midst of my own fertility challenges I think I don't care I wouldn't care I wouldn't care if my baby isn't sleeping I'll just sit there I'd be so grateful to have that baby I wouldn't matter and the reality of what that actually felt like because I had a I had my my son was on the spectrum of not wanting to be put down colic and yeah but then I also felt like I couldn't really say anything without saying but I know that I'm so lucky like mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you this but I also want you to know that that isn't me being ungrateful for what I have and and a lot of the women that I work with always feel like they have to put that extra I, I'm I'm also very grateful I know how lucky I am to be here and I think we still have to feel we have to qualify that and it's difficult because I don't think we do feel that we are fully allowed to say wow this is hard and it's amazing and it's also hard so I'm still catching myself doing it there it's like it's still brilliant but also I feel really really tired so yeah I think I, I really yeah there's so much resonance here Hazel yeah um, and the pressure of it yeah the pressure of it being a good time or something that I hear a lot is like the pressure to breastfeed because Mm. conception didn't go how you wanted it to go 
So yeah. you want birth to go a certain way, or maybe you can't even think about birth, but you want that time with baby mm -hmm. to go a certain way, and you want breastfeeding yeah. to go a certain way because you just feel like you're, I don't know, almost owed something. And yeah. it's like, yeah. It is, and I think it, it's a huge pressure on any woman, I feel, that, you know, like I get a lot of people saying to me, oh, um, I'm, I'm going to form this baby, is that okay? I'm like, you can do whatever you want to do. I would never... I'm definitely not the breastfeeding mafia for sure. And I think women feel like that anyway. But when you've wanted this baby, you've tried so hard for this baby for such a long time, you almost feel like, well, this is what you wanted. This is what you've, you know, spent all those years, spent all that money doing. So you better breastfeed that baby because this is what you wanted. So, and I've taught, I, I teach um, breastfeeding education. I'm, I'm a breastfeeding consultant, so I teach it. Um, and I think like my breastfeeding journey was generally quite smooth, but what I didn't anticipate was how sensitive it was. Like for the first few days, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I knew the latch was fine. I knew that everything was okay there because I'm fortunate enough to have that background knowledge, but it still wasn't a breeze. It wasn't just a case of, you know, like we had to do hand expressing in the hospital. We had to do different things. It was quite sleepy and, you know, it wasn't, and I, knowing the stuff still didn't make it just happen and just click um and I think you're you're really right as well what you say about the birth um the birth part can also be an experience that um my son was breached so I had an elective cesarean for breach um and I was fortunate I, I know my doctor very well so in the UAE we have you have a doctor that looks after you through your pregnancy and your birth. So you will have a midwife with you if you're a neighbour, but it's not the same as the, the NHS that's private healthcare. Um, and she said, you know, would you like a vaginal breach? And I was like, no, absolutely not. That's far too high risk. I don't care how he gets here, just get him here. Well, I didn't know he was here at the time, but just get him here, whatever, you know. And um, so I was quite happy to embrace C-section, yeah, whatever, whereas I know a lot of women feel very let down if they've, they've had a c-section um and you shouldn't because actually I really love the experience but you almost uh, had, you, you almost are just like I don't care whatever you have to do to my body whatever you need to do for me to get this baby do what you need to do I was going to say so Helen and I I think one of the big drivers for us writing this course the Golden Shores birth course was because of this deep sadness with working with women after birth and I feel like there exists this really powerful idea out there in everyone's mind about this idea about a really powerful strong woman having this specific type of birth experience and I think if you went and spoke to anybody about birth it would be a very similar story about this kind of magical portal of womanhood that everybody needs to pass through and I do wonder if you think that your embracing of birth however it's going to unfold was helped in a lot of ways by you being very familiar with what birth really looks like yeah. um, and how rare that breathe the baby out easy yeah. breezy unicorn birth is do you yeah. think that's true yeah absolutely of all the women that I've supported 
in labour, easy and birth are not two words I would put together, regardless of how you give birth. I don't think there's anything easy about it. And I, again, I think there's this pressure for women to hypnobirth in water. That's the, you know, you've not done it right if you didn't do it that way. And that's not true. You... I think it's being empowered and I think it's being informed and knowing your choices. The, the thing that I get the most frustrated by are when women feel disempowered and they didn't feel like they had any say over, you know, like, and, and actually, unfortunately, here in the UAE, it happens quite a lot. Um, I was speaking to a lady at a part of the children's party the other day and she was like, oh, you know, uh, my, my third birth, it's really difficult because I needed continuous monitoring. They wouldn't let me get up off the bed. I'm like, oh, at what point are we, I'm not letting you get off the bed. You, nobody should ever be told you are not allowed to do this. Like it's, it should be an informed choice that you make yourself. And if it's, you know, and, and I've had women, I, I could have two women and they could, one can say, oh, I had an epidural and, we needed to use the Kiwi the suction cap for babies to help at the end with pushing. And another one could say, oh, God, yeah, I had an epidural and then we did the Kiwi and see it as a massive failure. And the other woman can be like, I had a vaginal birth. It was amazing. I'm so pleased. And they've had exactly the same interventions, but the way they perceive it is completely different because one was informed and understood and the other one has been made to feel like a failure because she shouldn't have had an epidural and how dare she need help, you know? Yeah. And that's so it. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because we feel so passionate about that. And, you know, we do teach hypnobirthing on our course, but we don't teach it as this kind of be all and end all. And this is going to be a hypnobirth because we yeah. feel so strongly that that probably lets down so, so many women, their tools and techniques. And we try and give, it's that empowerment word, isn't it? And that yeah. being being okay with the way your birth unfolds which is Hannah always calls it untamable but birth is untamable and I think in 2023 we are surrounded by so many messages in the echo chambers that we live in mm -hmm. about what hypnobirthing and water birth and, and more radical births than that you know it's becoming you can see you can see the difference kind of almost like if we were a dinner party and all of those people all those different kinds of birth was represented around the dinner table it'd be quite a feisty conversation and I think yeah. we want to kind of transcend that really and and not have that agenda but be empowering women to yeah, yeah make their own choices and I think that really matters so thank you thank and you. and I think hypnobirthing is amazing I think when you're teaching hypnobirthing techniques they are fantastic because you do want to reduce that adrenaline and you do want to increase oxytocin. And you can only do that by feeling empowered and knowing your mind and not feeling like a dick, like a rabbit in the headlights or doing the headlights where you, you're just shocked. And because we know that adrenaline slows labor down and we know that oxytocin is exactly what we need. So I think those techniques are amazing for anyone. And I think if you're, you know, you're fearful of cesarean and you've got those techniques, actually that can make mm. that cesarean a, a better or abdominal birth, if we're kind of trying to lean towards better language. Those techniques are really valuable and they're really good tools to have. And that's ultimately what you want. You know, if you're, if all births were this fierce woman empowered, you can do it on your own. You don't need anyone. 
then I wouldn't have a job. Like, why, why would you need me? Why would you need doctors that specialise in it? Why, why would there be workers if everything was always straightforward? As a midwife, I love it when everything's straightforward. It makes my job easier. I have to write less. I have to do less paperwork. <laughs> like, it's better. It's nicer for everyone. But when there are complications, that's when we're trained to recognise okay, this isn't maybe going how we would like it to go. And when women feel that they need more, that's when we can support them and give them more. So having those tools is amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's all about kind of dismantling some of that shame that we carry. That we had, you know, we chose to have pain relief for something that's really painful. And like, how did we get so distorted with that? <laughs> that we feel guilty about that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Oh, thank you. So we have got a question that we thought would be a nice way to kind of pull things together. Of like, what advice you would give to yourself at the beginning of your first pregnancy? So the things that you know now, maybe that you didn't know then, and you were looking at you then kind of maybe with that positive pregnancy test when having that big kind of emotion about that what would be your advice now to her I think I I think it does come back to um two things really I suppose the first thing would be it's okay for you to complain it's okay for you to find it hard you don't have to push that down and cover it up and pretend on the outside that you're doing okay when you have bad days but I would say equally it's, it's also okay to enjoy the pregnancy so okay to enjoy those moments you don't have to be living in constant fear that you're never going to meet your baby that it's not going to happen I think it's give I give myself permission to feel the feels a bit more yeah that makes sense to experience it a bit more oh thank you that's lovely really lovely thanks for sharing that that might be a nice note to close it on mm. i think it's and a beautiful story we do want to say people want to find you talk about what you're doing now so people want okay. to know where you're at okay i started a company called the prepared pineapple focuses on fertility programs and support i'm actually venturing now a little bit more into support during pregnancy after infertility and loss i basically came from a point of there, there seems to be quite a bit of support in the way of pregnancy. You've got a lot of options out there and people seek it quite freely. And I just found that during my own journey with infertility, I Googled everything. The resources were very minimal. There wasn't much in the way of infertility awareness and guidance through IVF, guidance through trying to conceive. Um so created these programs that you can access it's all online you have access for a full year and it will take you through step by step with you know even things like preparing myself mentally different techniques I could use changes that I could make not dramatic life altering changes but you know things like alcohol consumption and changing diet and that those kind of things and then you know what you can expect and actually again it comes back to that empowerment with your doctor because again with infertility I feel like a lot of people including myself just go and and a doctor will say you need to do this and you go okay and you just do it but you don't ask questions you don't push further if I'd have known then what I know now a year in I would have been saying right male factor infertility why aren't we looking at that so I just wanted to create that 
space and that community support and be there for people that are going through what I went through living right now to be honest it's great that you're sharing all your knowledge thank yeah. you and I don't and I enjoy it as well you know it's, it's hard because it's challenging but, but I enjoy it as, as the same with you ladies you know you, you've been through it yourself as well so you understand the ups and the downs of these yeah well thank you I think that feels like a good place to start doesn't it Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like any support with your pregnancy or planning for your birth, Golden Shores is our holistic pregnancy and birth course. It's a really unique course built on the foundations of our knowledge and experience of both working with hundreds of women in this realm and our own experiences of transitioning into motherhood. We've built the course we wish we'd had. You can find out more at goldenbirthing.com.